Welcome to the Education Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Nian. In this episode, you will hear part one of my conversation with Deirdre Hunter, Assistant Teaching Professor at the Oshman Engineering Design Kitchen at the School of Engineering at Rice University. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on the Education's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of the Education Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to the Education Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. My guest today is Deirdre Hunter. She's an assistant teaching professor at the Oshman Engineering Design Kitchen, the Design Kitchen, at the School of Engineering at Rice University. Hi, Deirdre. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. Welcome. And thanks for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I am also equally excited to be here with you today. I have been um, an admirer of the Design Kitchen and your program at Rice for so long. We got the, a great opportunity to work together for a number of years, and you, you and your program and your students just, just consistently just provide stunning work. Um, they are truly a great inspiration to, um, I know certainly me and my team, but actually uh, to a lot of other programs, especially in the STEM field. Um, so, but before we go into all of that, um, why don't I, I want to pick on two, the three words, engineering, design, kitchen. <laughs> um, an interesting combination, right? Yes. Um, well, tell us just a little bit about that so we can ground people who are listening. You know, what are we talking about? Is it kitchen or is it engineering <laughs> or is it design? Yeah, I think the thing that throws people off the most is the word kitchen. And people always want to know why it's the kitchen. Um so the building that we're in used to be the central kitchen that served all Rice students meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're prepared in this building. Um, they kind of did away with the central kitchen model and dispersed the kitchens to the different dormitories. And this building kind of sat as a storage place for a while. Um, and then Rice kind of had this idea to start thinking about more practical design um, hands-on design for our engineering students and they were looking around campus for a place to put it and somebody I decided this might be a good building to look at and it was agreed upon that this would be a great spot for um, some design work and so um, really what it allows us to do here it allows us to create a space for students that are in engineering classes um, they're not all engineering students, but they're in engineering classes. They're building prototypes, devices um, to solve real world problems with different clients. And so, um, yeah, we decided when we dec named the place, we thought it would be appropriate to leave the word kitchen in there. Um, also, as a space, like we want to recognize that women often feel excluded from engineering spaces but maybe feel included in places like the kitchen. And so it was this perfect dichotomy to say, like, this is a place for all people to come and work and make it kind of colloquially, like some of the language around it, very welcoming to all people from all gender backgrounds um, to say, this place is for you to participate in design work. So that's kind of how engineering, design, kitchen all came together into like one word. But yeah, interesting story. No, it's it's very special. I actually have always um, 
I remember hearing it for the first time and just, it's almost like the name so quickly tell you a little bit about the culture of what the program is about, right? And it's one of those like brilliant um, naming, you know, (laughs) for me it reminds me of, um, you know, you know, the, 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 the famous, um, um, uh, 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 marketing book on the purple cow. You know, it's like in one word, you're like, okay, I got this. Got it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the subcontext of kitchen, I don't think necessarily people regularly think about it, but it does just create a really welcoming atmosphere for everyone. Um, and one thing I can say is about over half the faculty that teach here are women. Um, a lot of our student leaders, probably over 50% of our student leaders are women. And in general, the participation uh, overall through all the students that are working on design projects, there's a high representation of women in our design projects and especially some of our top design projects. So something seems to be working in the culture to make this a space where regardless of gender, people feel like they have a spot at the table um, and a place within inside of engineering and inside of engineering design in particular. So it's the language has worked, um, even if it's like a subcontext um, for the overall work that happens here. Yes, it's 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 wonderful. So um, you had mentioned something that I wanted to get back to, if you'd like, if you don't mind. Sure. You had said we work with real world problems with clients. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, it's a school as well. How does that work, and what does that mean? Yeah. So what does it mean to work with real world clients? Um, It means that the faculty have to be super flexible for one thing. Um, (laughs) Every summer we reach out to past clients. We make an open call to companies within the Houston area, but also just companies or colleagues that our faculty are connected to. Um, And we are basically put out a call saying there's we're looking for projects. We're looking for ideas, design challenges that our students can work on. And whether it's a freshman student in their very first semester at Rice, learning the engineering design process for the first time and applying that, or whether it's um, a group of like 10 seniors in capstone design working on a design project um, for an entire year um, at a much more advanced level, Um, We're just looking for unique projects that our students would be excited to work on. And so some of our clients come from the Texas Medical Center because it's right across the street from us. So we work with physicians, therapists. Um, Some of these doctors over there are connected with Engineers Without Borders, and they're looking at different challenges that face them in the operating room across the street or in hospitals across the world or we work with a lot of nonprofits, so from the Houston Zoo, uh, which is one of our favorite clients, um, again, just across the street to working with people that are trying to provide clean water um, and the developing parts of the developing world, right? Um, and so we also have big clients such as like Shell or um, Baker Hughes, so large oil and gas companies. What's unique is that all of them come to us saying we have a design problem. We have a something, a challenge that could use some kind of physical solution to meet the challenge. And so we pitch the projects to our students in class and they get to select which projects sound most exciting to them and they get to be matched with clients. 
And the clients are there to pitch those projects, answer any questions for the students. And then they're pretty involved throughout the semester, uh, meeting with students at different frequencies or coming to their design presentations and giving them feedback. And so I think there's a strong motivation for our students to see that the work that they do isn't just a textbook problem. There is a client on the other end that's eagerly awaiting a solution. And the challenge for us as faculty is sometimes a solution doesn't come in one semester. And sometimes we only have our students' attention for one semester. Um, But because we have so many design classes, we're able to continue projects and we've worked with the clients enough that we're able to kind of scope the right scale of a project mm-hmm. for a semester. And we're just looking for an opportunity to advance the state of knowledge that applies to that problem for our client. Um, and sometimes that's a nice little package of a project, a device, a prototype that has, you can put a bow on it and it's done. And sometimes it's, well, we tried these things and they didn't work, but now we know it doesn't work. So maybe they can pursue something that might work. Um, And so there is the challenge of trying to meet the client's need, but also still serving our students in the classroom. Um, And it's taken a while maybe to figure out the right balance, but I think we've done a pretty good job mostly um, to get that balance of the students having a real experience serving a client, but also getting the educational credits and meeting the educational outcomes that we hope that they would meet within a course that they're taking. So um, it's a lot of fun. Um, I would lie if I said it didn't come with any stress, but it's a lot of fun. (laughs) But you're introducing the type of stress that it's actually also in and of itself real world too, right? Very much so, yeah. Because there is no... um, I think that there's, I mean, I, I would just say that um, having met with many more traditional engineering slash design programs, actually more on the engineering side, yeah, there is, you know, this um, convention um, doesn't mean that it's right, but the, many other people um, who, who've gone through engineering, you know, education themselves from, you know, long ago mm-hmm. have this expectation that there is a certain phase of your education where you're not allowed to design or do anything. You just have to learn That's what's right. considered the basics and what's considered the, you know, like the 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 the, the foundational skills. Right. And until you know all those things, which is really from the textbook only. Yeah. They might occasionally use some examples and whatnot, but ultimately it's like a you know, things that they can test for. And, you know, they have, they, they know that there is a right answer. They want you to get the right answer. Right. And until that phase is complete, you're not allowed to touch, you know, yeah. like the kids. <laughs> and I think, yeah. And I think we've really tried to flip the script on that. One of the reasons, like just engineering education as a whole has decided maybe it's time to flip the script on that is because we know that students are retained in engineering programs longer if they have a connection to what does all this learning mean? How is it going to impact the work that I'll do? And so exposing them very early to some of that work and yeah, they don't get it right all the time. And they're like, wait, there's a series of equations that could lead me to the right 
design <laughs> criteria, like, yes, but providing them mentorship, coaching them, guiding them, scaffolding th- them through the work, we realize it, it can work. Um, we can't give them the most complex engineering design uh, challenges, but we can give them things that are meaningful and challenging. And they have an opportunity to learn a little bit of more textbook engineering along the way while learning the prototyping skills, the building skills, the communication skills, which we find are really invaluable for our students is that they know how to communicate with adults in an engineering company and that they have a comfort level of approaching someone that is a senior engineer at Baker Hughes with a problem, right? That serves them well when they go into internships or when they're seeking their jobs afterwards, that they've had that professional experience embedded in the context of, hey, I'm doing design work. And yes, I may not have all those advanced engineering courses yet. (laughs) Um, I can still do really cool stuff and people respect the work that I'm able to do. Um, So it's a great like growth opportunity for these students, I think. And um, yeah, but it provides something very different than I think what engineering education has provided for many years. I I agree. And I'm I'm uh, I think for people who know me or who have listened to this, to this before would know that I am a huge fan of of, of this type of education. Okay. I I am I was trained as an architect and also taught in it for a little while and we have the same yeah same thing and actually I would say that we've always been more in that design sort of critique world. Yes. Because I mean at some point we I don't even know where I don't know the history of this to be honest. But I, I feel like that some point fairly early on in sort of modern architecture design education, we've given up on the idea of this is how you design the door. There's not a right answer. So if there is, is an infinite amount of answers, I think we look towards like people that are doing painting and yeah. other even more like fine art area where there is just no right answer. So there is no, um, we, we, we have given up on. <laughs> yeah, you know? um, but my students often do. They come to me and they're like, "Well, what, what is the answer to this design problem?" <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, the reality is, if the answer existed, I wouldn't have pitched this project to you this semester because right. it wouldn't be a project. Um, it's a project because we haven't solved it. And I have some ideas, and I I have some like places that I would like you to explore. But I've had student teams come to completely different solutions that were not even on my top three ideas that I was very happy with and very satisfied with. And the the design solved like real world problems. And I'm just like, this is cool. Like, it's not about what I was hoping or wanting for the project. It's whatever is the best solution. And I will guide you to help find that. And maybe you'll discover something that I didn't think about when it all started. And that's great. That's fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, you had mentioned that um, faculty members, it's not without stress because it comes with a certain amount of unknown and uncertainty or, that's you know, right. is this even going to teach the students stuff? Right, yeah. Without this, you know, if the project doesn't go well, maybe it doesn't reach that. But at the same time, um, I I remember when I used to teach in architecture, um, we had this, well, we had this one thing that where we say to people that 
you know, as a faculty member, I'm the lead learner here. Um, and I'm just going to have a little bit more experience and I'm going to be learning with you alongside. I'll, I'll help, you know, you learn probably, but you will also help me do it too. Um, and I think that it's in that sort of spirit that things got done. And I actually think that there is a certain amount of um, uh, satisfaction as a faculty member. To me, it became a learning experience as well. It became a fun, exciting experience. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, I know all about this one topic. My job is just to you know, disseminate that all to you in a way that you can digest. It wasn't like that at all. No. It was more like, oops, uh, we don't know. So we're going to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think that's like, for me, the greatest joy in teaching in this format and that all my classes that I teach are thinking kind of about this idea of um, open-ended design projects is that I don't feel like I'm teaching the same thing every semester. Like I deliver the same lectures every semester, but it's a process that I'm talking about that's applied to new projects every semester. And so the reality, what I'm engaged with my learning every semester is learning a little bit about each of these new projects, right? Like at the Houston Zoo, learning what an okapi is. Like I, I didn't know what an okapi was. I don't know how an okapi eats or how they move <laughs> around and like, I got to learn those things with the students, right? Or like working on new water treatment methods, right? Like I'm exposed to areas that aren't in my wheelhouse, aren't in my professional background. And it's exciting though. That's what keeps me really engaged with the students and and makes it fun. And it creates a good relationship between you and the students because they know, well, Dr. Hunter doesn't know the right answers either. She right understands a process and she understands a little bit more about how things work and don't work but she's really guiding us and it's a trust relationship between both of us i trust that the students do a little bit of the deep research and then they trust that i'm kind of guiding them based on what they've learned and the data that they're able to analyze it correctly to lead them to a good solution but it's a trust both ways and it's a fun and it keeps my job exciting it keeps my job fun I feel like I'm teaching a new class every semester even though it's the same class um, because of that I think that I think that's lovely and I actually also find one area that really doesn't get talked about very much and certainly not in a in a in a formal recognized way I feel which is, you know, like you talked about students doing design presentations and working with real world clients and, you know, they communicating and Yeah. So there there is this whole area on the in my I've always been looking at these things as sort of critique skills and all communication skills. And I've always thought that, you know, in Amongst the sort of speak soft skills that people talk about, you know, they, you know, critical thinking and, yeah. and, and, and these kind of skills, um, there are, there are some nuanced areas that are so sort of skipped. Um, for example, the ability to provide feedback and receive feedback. Sometimes yeah. that things that are about, you know, what you've done that is not good. Yeah. Um, I think that it's, 
important for 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 students to sort of figure out how to be a human who can respect and care about one another yes. and at the same time know how to disagree with one another. Yeah. Um and these these types of skills, you know, it's not just for engineering. I mean, look at our political landscape today. You know, I'm not talking about the politicians part of it, our general population, right? We don't know how to disagree with one another because when we disagree, they'll say, oh, no, we are, we must beat each other. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's very interesting. Like, there's a couple things that I actually have on my syllabus that, like, I explicitly say, for one, you're going to learn communication skills. And when I say communication, I mean verbal communication, um, written communication, um, communication through graphics but you're going to learn communication um and you're also going to learn teaming skills and i said these skills are hard to teach but you can learn these skills and we will do our best to help you learn these skills along the way by teaching you some like ways to effectively communicate and so actually in the second well i guess it's like four weeks into the semester, we ask the students in their team to sit down and have a team pit stop. And we talk to them about what does it mean? Like what what's working well on your team and what's not? And a lot of times it is like, hey, we have different communication styles, right? Um, but we also go through an activity that talks about values. And so for an example of a value is someone that is a direct communicator versus someone that's an indirect communicator. You can see that like on this spectrum, there's not a good or bad. It's just how you are and what you feel comfortable with. But knowing that about each other is like really good to know, hey, this person's a really direct communicator, so they're always going to tell me their ideas. Um, maybe we need to ask the indirect communicators in our team to share their ideas more frequently and tell the direct communicator, hey, like maybe take a back seat today, let other people kind of share their ideas. Um, but they understand that it's not personal, but it just comes from a place of like their identity um, and helps them think about how do we manage when we have people of different kind of identities within these spectrums on a team. How can we use that as to our advantage? Because sometimes it's advantageous to have different types of people on the team. Um, sometimes they think, oh, we're all the same. And so therefore it'll be easy. But when they realize that you have a lot of direct speakers on the team, it can lead to more conflict. Um, but helping them think about how to recognize that early on, that it's not how I feel about you as a person. It's just like, this is the way I communicate. But then for them to also be able to read the room and realize that not everyone communicates the same way they do. Um, and we work really hard to help the students identify that and themselves so that they're one learning about themselves. They can act differently in a team context than they do in everyday context if they choose. Um, but that they wouldn't make assumptions about each other because of how they responded in a team meeting. Um, and so we work really hard at that. <laughs> we talk about the different forms of communication too, like communicating within a team, communicating with your faculty member, communicating with your client for your project. Um, what does communication look like? How do I communicate in these different forms and contexts? And providing them 
critical feedback. And I think right now, I would say that's the biggest challenge that we're facing as a class is, um, I you, earlier you mentioned the architecture model and I love the architecture model of design critique. They design something, they get a critique and they might have to start over. And for our students in engineering, they're not used to that because they're coming from, you know, these are students that were quote unquote good in math and science. That's what everyone says. Oh, if you're good in math and science, you should go be an engineer. Um, where there's right answers in the back of the book. And so if I chose this as my, if I chose this design as my quote unquote right answer, how are you telling me it's wrong? <laughs> Why are you telling me that it could be different, that it could be better? And so helping students hear the critiques of what you've done isn't wrong. It's a stepping stone to where you want to go. Um, and so we're in the midst of trying to figure out how to both provide critiques in a way that um, they're able to hear the critique, um, but also that they're able to use that as like a pivot point um, to move forward and not feel like rejected of like my idea is a bad idea. Like, but it's a really hard thing. And, you know, at Rice, we're working with students that are used to really excelling and not being told that they're wrong. And so, we're trying to find this location of like, where does critique come in? How do we make sure that the critique is used and seen as a benefit as opposed to a drawback from the work that they've done? Um, and the idea that like sometimes the faculty have disagreements on like, I think this and they think that whose idea do we go with, right? When you have different faculty or you're trying to manage the difference between what the client says versus what the faculty member says. And um, and then students saying, we're, we're going to stand on this idea that we chose. And I tell my students, okay, but what's your data and what's your evidence for it? <laughs> um, and most of the time, if there's not, like, even if it's a different idea than the idea that I wanted or I thought was the best, if there's evidence and data that they can use to support their ideas, then I'm like, okay, let's move forward. But that's also something that our freshman students are like just learning to articulate. How do I say we chose this idea based on this evidence? Therefore, if we do this, this is, should be the result and it, this would be the outcome, right? So making that like evidence statement and making that, that to support an argument that would give reason to move forward in a certain direction. Um, it's a hard thing for them to do <laughs> in written communication and in oral communication. And we're working really hard to help them uh, become better at that. And you're right. I mean, it, it works in all aspects of our lives, not just in engineering, but we have to make decisions that are based on somewhat opinion, but how can we find fact in that decision that we made to say, this is the choice that I want to move forward with. Well, that definitely is a, um, can it's such a, it's, you know, in the, you know, the, in the grand greater, you know, sort of context of fact versus alternative facts and opinions uh, uh, versus fiction altogether. Yeah. Um, or it's a, um, it's a, it's a great problem that we have in society today. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, um, it's, it's tricky to disagree, you know, how, you know, people are currently disagreeing with facts as much as they are uh, disagreeing with opinions. Um, and so who knows, maybe these are the types of skills 
you know, coming out of design engineering, yeah, um, or from architecture, or from you know whatever the the these different modes of figuring out how do you disagree well, um, how do you um, how do you work together, um, you know, to um, to sort of move forward, you know, with 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 projects and ideas and. Or, or in in the case when I went back to sort of societal issues, you know, how do we move forward with this great experiment that is democracy? You know, yeah. How do we do all of that, right? And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting aspect of how we need to figure out how to relate these things. And I think that's where, you know, sort of the these um, innovative ways of you incorporating these pieces into your design education or engineering design education is really mm -hmm. just fabulous. Um, <clears throat> can I, um, I, you had mentioned several times how, uh, uh, you know, gender diverse your program is. And I think that is just so great because you are bucking every trend that there is in all the engineering <laughs> programs, right? Right. You have a, a program that um, cares about, you know, sort of design as freshman year, not not on, not on at the capstone project you get to choose, but you get to choose, you know, right as you get in. Um, you, um, and you have uh, lots of women participation, which, you know, statistically, you know, in most places is not the case. It's still a very, very male dominant field and area of study. So how do you get there? What's what's the what's the trick? And by the way, there is no I think that there is a it there has to be some relationship between the type of program that you offer and the people you attract. Yeah. Right? And vice versa. Right. Yeah. And so that's gotta be some relationship there. This is amazing. Yeah, go ahead. I wish I knew what the answer was because it'd be easier to disseminate, right? And to increase like women's participation in engineering. And I honestly don't know the answer. I would say that overall um, on the teaching faculty, Rice has a lot of women participating in the teaching faculty. Um, some posit that that's because we're in a large city where you can have people that have dual careers and there's an opportunity for that which might be an aspect or part of that so to have two professional like dual careers going um, because the city supports that kind of uh, ability. Um, but I do think that our students seeing women in leadership is really important. And so our students seeing women teaching engineering is important. Our Seeing our student leaders as women is important. And so I think that we're constantly thinking about how to mentor and foster um, those students that are from just any student that might be from what we consider a marginalized background in engineering um, to help them see themselves as leaders, to give them leadership opportunities maybe before they're right, ready for it. <laughs> um, because we know that once they're in that position, I'm able to spend more time mentoring them to actually further prepare them for maybe where I wanted them to be when they took the position in the beginning. And um, Rice is a fairly small school, and so I have that opportunity to work so closely with students in a mentorship 
um, way. There's other things I do on campus as well. There's just other opportunities that I'm involved with. The Summer Bridge Program, um, which looks at incoming freshman students spending a summer kind of um, maybe making up ground where they might not have those same opportunities in high school that some of their peers will be coming in with. Um, Getting an opportunity to meet them (laughs) their first day on campus and help mentor them and guide them along the way. And so... I think it really looks like being really intentional about being available, being a role model, being an example, um, helping other people provide um, kind of examples and role models to the students and kind of always telling students to look out for who's next, right? And that um, it also just becomes an atmosphere where everyone's like, we're all growing, um, we're all learning, and we all have room to grow together. I think is a place that feels comfortable. Um, When you walk into a place that you feel like you have to have it all together to start and that you always have to have it together or you're going to like lose your respect or authority or position, I think um, those are harder environments to like thrive in. And so I think just providing this opportunity for students um, through just our our design, our design studio has like a lot of student workers. So we have student workers that help um, provide assistance on the machines with the different equipment that we have. But we also have a lot of student workers that work in our classroom um, as mentors. And so with those, we have this opportunity to keep training them, provide them regular feedback through, we take surveys to get feedback on the, how the students are doing. And we look at every time, oh, there's a negative comment, that's okay. That's an opportunity for growth. That doesn't mean you're going to lose your position here. Um, And so it takes a lot of intentionality, but um, I think that it's important um, to spend that time. And I mean, maybe I just walked into this culture at Rice that already existed, um, but it feels like a pretty good culture to be a part of. And it feels really good to continue the culture of um, just that everyone belongs here. Everyone has spot at the table um, and everyone has value um, no matter what position you're coming from. So um, I also think that, you know, just in general, the culture here at Rice is a lot of what we call kind of grassroots, student-led. So I'm constantly asking the students, like, is what we're doing working for students? Um, So I ask my student leaders, is what we're doing working for them? You have a better perspective of what student life is like. How can we um, create a culture? How can we create a classroom that is more conducive to student life? And my willingness to say, I'm willing to try stuff, even if it's a little outside the box. Uh, Within reason, I have to meet my learning objectives in the classroom. And they understand that. They came to Rice to meet learning objectives to get a degree. But they are also willing to throw out ideas that are novel to think about how could we make this more accessible. Um, And so I think the students like that, that we always come to them and ask them, what are your ideas? Um, We'll try some of them (laughs) within reason uh, and try to make something that works for everyone. So This concludes part one of our conversation. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The Education Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication 
a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in.